Church. Thanks for listening in. We exist as a church to connect people to the heart of God and to a family within the church. And we believe that Jesus is the way. We hope this message blesses you and gives you hope today. Oh, good morning. Nope. What season is it? It's football season, right? All right. All right. Let's hear it again. Good morning. See, when we walk into the room with our kids at football practice, you know the routine. We expect a, no. We do not expect that. We expect excitement. And when we're in the Lord's house, there should be a little bit more excitement about you being here to be in his presence. I don't know about you. I know the hogs won yesterday. Woohoo! Texas lost. I know all the hog people are happy that Texas lost. But I had a rough day yesterday when Texas lost. And then whoever it was this morning had to share a Texas story of them getting beat yesterday. And then he wanted us to pray. How, how does that work? Doesn't work when you love Texas. Well, but it is a joy. It is a great season. It is a great season because it's football, but it is a greater season because the Lord is still on the throne. And that he is always in season. And that's the great thing to know about him and having a relationship with him is that he doesn't have all seasons. He's always available for us. And I'm so thankful for that. You know, when we're in a series of talking about Acts and the beginning of the church and, and how he empowered just mere men to go out and take the gospel out and basically change the world. That's exciting to me. It's more exciting to me than, than a football game or a touchdown or a cheeseburger. There's some excitement there when these men were chosen by the Father to go out after Jesus ascended up. That your job from here on out is to go and preach the gospel. It is to go and share and tell and encourage people to change their lives and that God is the one that can do it. That pumps me up. That gives me hope and excitement. And today we're going to be in Acts today, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. And it's a lot of verses, but God has a lot to say. Hopefully I won't keep you too long, but I hope that God will speak to you and that you will be transformed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the great and awesome mighty God. How great it is to be in your presence at this moment, that we get to come and we get to fellowship with you to know that we can stand in here and that we can have hope and we can have all of what you promised us when we walk with you when we decide that we're going to surrender all over to you that's what these men had to do they had to deny self and pick up their cross daily because they were always on the battlefield Father, today as we talk about persecution, I, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would realize that we are in a battle today and that you have called your soldiers, your people who know you, to make a stand, to not be afraid, to speak up and stand up for what is right and what is holy in your eyes. Father, I just want your will done here this morning. I just want you to get me out of the way so that your word would go forth and that it would do what you want it to do, Lord. Thank you for every good thing that we have, but we know it comes from you, Lord. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Persecution. It's not a fun word, right? 
It's not a great word because when we hear that, instantly we start thinking about death and maybe prison and things of that nature. But the truth about it is there's a definition here. It says it is the act of harassing, oppressing, killing people because of their different forms in society. Nowhere in God's word does it say that once you accept Christ, every facet of your life is going to be perfect. Nowhere in his scripture does it say that. But he does promise us that what? We're going to have trials and we're going to have tribulation. That's the joy of coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Yay! We're going to be tested all of our days until he calls us home. But the great thing about those tests is, is that he will be right there by us, in front of us, beside us, behind us, carrying us through those difficult times. And that's something to be excited about. I think people are deceived sometimes when they come to know Jesus Christ, that my life is going to be so much better, and it will be. But there are so many things that are required of you, and being persecuted is one of those things. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 17, he says this, Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local council and be flogged in the synagogues. In Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 and 12, he says this, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see, we have to remember that when Jesus came, they didn't embrace him. The religious people wanted to kill him. And eventually, they did. He knew that he was born to go and to do a task that no one else could do, and that was to go to the cross for us. As a believer, our job is to trust him and to know that he knows what's best for us, and he has it all under control. You see, there are no surprises that hits God, right? He's ahead of us. He's behind us. He knows everything that's going to happen. We just need to trust him. Listen to what's happening to Christians all around the world. These statistics come from the Christian persecution. It says this, over 360 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 5,898 killed for their faith. This is no easy walk. That's why everyone doesn't want this walk. But is it a walk that your holy God will be faithful to you no matter what you face? It says that 5,110 churches or other Christian buildings have been attacked. 4,765 believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. That's what we get to face one day in this country, and it's coming. I know we feel secure, and, and we have this nice little, little country club, Christian attitude, and, and, and everything is good, and everything is moving. We got the house, and we got the material things, and we got all this stuff. That's not what it's all about. We're going to face some difficult times, and if we're not grounded in his word, and if we're not trusting him, and if we're not walking with him, we are going to fall along the sideway just like all the other people. We have to be prepared for what's coming our way. And I don't think we are. It says that Christian people are the world's most widely targeted faith group around. That puts every one of us in here who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Get ready. Because you already see it happening. They are trying to take Christ out of everything that you can imagine. 
You can't pray at ball games. You can't take a knee at ball games. You can't do hardly anything without someone saying, uh, uh. And yet all we want to do is tell them that there's a better life. There's something greater for you. God has something special for you, but not in the lifestyle that you're living in. And I will never understand why people get upset about a God that loves them and wants to save them. Oh, you're not being very tolerant. Well, you're not being very tolerant. Because I have a God that loves you unconditionally and he wants to change your life forever and give you eternally hope. Christians, we have to be ready. In Acts chapter 4, 1 through 22, we find Peter and John being persecuted for their strong beliefs in Christ. They find themselves in a predicament speaking, proclaiming, talking about the great news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it seemed like people's lives were being changed and, and people's lives were being transformed. But there was a group of people that kind of got ugly. They kind of got mad. It was the religious folks that got upset. And what they wanted is they wanted all the lost people to continue to follow them. Because they was leading them astray and they had all the power and all the authority there. But the disciples were not having it. The disciples had been with Jesus and they loved him and they were walking with him. And now their job was to go and tell others about him. Today I want to talk about three things about persecution in this chapter here that we're going to be reading in. First thing is, is that we should expect persecution when we share the gospel. We should expect it. Number two, the Holy Spirit empowers us to take bold stances, and we need to take them today. Number three, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That third point, I can't wait to get there, but I got to wait. I know, I know y'all said, just go to point three. Just go to point three, and let's go on and get excited about ordinary people. Because most of us in here are just ordinary people, but I'm going to make you wait. That way you won't walk out the door before I finish. <laughs> Number one, you have to open your Bibles and turn to chapter four, verse one, verse four through four. It says, we should expect persecution when we preach the gospel. We find Peter and John here. Here it goes. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew about 5,000. Man, this excites me. Peter and John, just lonely people, right? Just regular old Joes. But they had been empowered by Jesus and his authority, and they were out proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's really funny. When we're out telling people in our society today about Jesus, everybody thinks that we're disturbed. What is wrong with those folks down there? What are they doing? What are they teaching those folks? They got some excitement in them. They got, whoa, hallelujah in them. Well, we should, because we have the best thing to offer to our society. We have the best thing that can change somebody's life. We have the best thing that can heal people's lives. And it is the gospel. And it says that Peter and John was out talking and they were proclaiming and they were talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And nothing was holding them back. Not fear, not doubt, not restraints. They wanted to tell people about Jesus. What bothered the Sadducees and the elders? 
Because no longer would they have control over these people. Because once you get a taste of Jesus, you want better. You know better. You seek better. And that's what they wanted. People were being changed. Their lives were being transformed. And all the religious people wanted to do is hush up. And for no reason, they arrest Peter and John. Now, anytime in scripture, when you read about the guys being arrested, you can take this to the bank. They were probably beat, made fun of, spit on. Anything that they could do to discourage them from talking about Jesus was done to them. No trial, no lawyer, no anything. We're just, hey, let's just put them in jail. Let's just let them think a little bit about it. Let's just harass them a little bit, right? What the definition says. Let's just oppress them a little bit and see if they'll buckle. See if they'll bow down and walk away from truth and stand for a lie. What well, it says they were speaking and they had spoken ahead of time. And what does it say? 5,000 people who were listening to them, people who were taking it in, people whose heart was softened was coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So long before they came and got them, they were shouting and telling, and people were listening. This is the deal, men and women. We have to get to the point to know that there are people all around of us that are listening. There are people all around us that are hurting. There are people all around us that are searching for something better, and we need to shout it out. We need to talk about it. It needs to be in our conversations. And yet we're idly sitting by and letting the wicked one kind of just take over all of where Christ was. They're trying to take it out, and we're just sitting there watching it happen. I think that grieves God's heart. When those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ are not speaking up, we're hushed up and we're backed up, but we're not standing up. And he's saying, what is wrong with my people? You see, he says there's nothing new under the sun. The same way that Peter and John was being persecuted here is the same way that all around the world, and even more so, is happening to people every day. And it's coming here. I know people don't like to hear that. That doesn't get a lot of hey mans. But you should be excited. Because when people start beating you up because you're in love with Jesus, hey man. Hey man, because they will see that these people are real and Jesus Christ really means something to them. See, it's easy to just step aside and say, oh, that Jesus stuff, yeah, that, oh, that's for him, and yeah, yeah, I know Jesus, but I'm not going to share my faith. I'm not going to talk about him. Why? Why? Are we embarrassed? Are we ashamed? Does it not say in Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? For it is the power of God to save First to the Greek, then to the Gentiles. Isn't that what it says? You should not be ashamed of the gospel. You should stand firm on the foundation that he's built for you. And that we should be shouting and we should be excited about who he is. These men, ordinary men, which we'll find out later on, were going against the most powerful people at that time. And they didn't back down. And they didn't hush up. And because they didn't hush up, we get to speak up today. And we better start speaking up because God has given us an opportunity to speak up. Number two, the Holy Spirit empowers us to take bold stances. The Holy Spirit empowers us to take bold stances. Look at me in verse 5 through 12. 
The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias and the priests were there. And so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power? I can just see them. By what power? Or what name do you do this in? And this is what he says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders, other people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by whom God raised from the dead. And this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no other, other one else. There is, only, there is the only name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The Holy Spirit. Jesus said, the thing about I have to do is I have to go up to heaven. I can't stay down here with you. I got to go up to heaven so that I can send you down the Holy Spirit that will empower you to go and proclaim my name to everyone. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's something that a lot of us don't talk about. Sometimes we get a little nervous about it because sometimes we think it's a little too charismatic. That Holy Spirit thing. And that's what we start to do. But the Holy Spirit is part of the three, right? It's part of the Trinity. And why have we left it out when it says that it is the very thing that empowers us to do what God has wanted us to do all along? We cannot reject the Holy Spirit of what he wants to do. These are some things it says about the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 2 and 5, it says this, The Holy Spirit makes us alive with Christ. The Holy Spirit, John 14, 26, The Holy Spirit is a helper who teaches and reminds. John 16, 7 and 8, The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. Titus 3 and 5, The Holy Spirit helps renew the believer. It is through that power. It is through knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. See, these men were smart. They realized that they couldn't do what they had to do on their own. So what did they do? They sent, they went up to the prayer room, they prayed, they waited for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit fell on them, empowered them, and they got to work. Why aren't we working? What's holding us back? Where's our boldness? These men, when they got the Holy Spirit and it took a hold of them and they took a hold of it, they went out and they boldly took stands in front of the most powerful people of that time and said, I'm standing for Jesus. Who gives you the authority to heal? Who gives you the power? It is him who you crucified, you silly people. It is you. You think you crucified him. You think you sent him to the grave. But he was willing to do that because any time, any moment, he could have walked away from it. But he was thinking about you and I. Who gives you the authority to do that? My father up above gives me the authority to do that. And I'm not going to back down. I don't care what you do, how much power you have. I don't care what authority you have. I am going to preach Christ. These men knew 
that they could not do what Jesus was asking them to do without that Holy Spirit, without the power of conviction, without the power that tells me I'm a sinful man, without the power to say I don't have to be afraid. I'm fearless. I'm going forward even if no one goes with me. They had the power of the Holy Spirit. They were fearless. They were unashamed of the gospel. They were willing to sacrifice anything they had to do so that we one day would have the gospel. And that's exciting to me. And thirdly, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And this excites me so much because this is written for us. It's for us. Because I don't know about you, but there ain't nothing extraordinary about me. You can ask Leslie. She'll tell you. She'll tell you the truth. I'll share some half-truth and some half <laughs> But just ordinary people. He took some fishermen. Some guys who were uneducated. Let's read that. Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they looked and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Woo! Isn't that enough right there? Has anyone ever noticed you and said there's something different about that man or that woman? What is it that makes them different? It has to be the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that they had been with him. They had been praying. They had walked with him. They had talked with him. They had seen him crucified. They had betrayed him. They knew everything about him. Who had they been with? They've been with Jesus. When's the last time you've been with Jesus? When's the last time that you just took 10, 15, 20 minutes to just be with Jesus? Not to watch the football game. Anybody try watching a football game and study at the same time? <laughs> Who wins? Football game. All the time. You just think about it. All the time that we have in a day, and all the Lord wants is a little bit of your time, we would never have the power that we need. We would never have the authority that we need. We would never be bold the way we need to be bold for him if we are not spending time with Jesus. And it takes a little bit of nothing. Grabbing the, his book and reading for five minutes, praying, meditating on this word, just not coming in on Sunday morning and going out those doors and living any old way you want to. But that it becomes very real to you, very personal to you, and that you want to know what it is to really surrender all unto the mighty God. You see, these guys that they were going against, the Sadducees, these people, they were opponents of Jesus. They hated Christians. They never believed in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the spirit. The priests that it talks about here, they were trained in Jewish laws, religious matters, literature, tradition. These people were smart. They were brilliant. Temple guards responsible for maintaining order in the temple area to pro for people who protested against the chief priests. These guys that they were going against, they had all the knowledge in the mind, but they didn't have Christ in the heart. And that's the difference in power and wanting power, or pretending to have power. These men had power and authority because they had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, and there was nothing they could say, 
So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then confirm together. This is what they said. What are we going to do with these men? That's what they ought to be saying about us. What are we going to do with those crazy Christians? What are we going to do with them? They are just proclaiming Christ everywhere they go. They're excited about them. They're living right. They're living righteous lives. What are we going to do with those people? I would love to hear that one day. I would love to hear that my walk is so lined up with him that people are disturbed and they don't know what to do with me. They don't know what to do with you. And lives are being changed because you're living out Christ every day of your life. They didn't know what to do with them. What do we do with these people who are talking about Christ? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a noble sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer in his name. Woo! There was a fire in them, and nothing could put that fire out. We can arrest them, we can beat them, we can kick them. But nothing's going to stop them from talking about Jesus. What if we got a hold of that? What if we got excited like that? What would our community look like if that's how we were going to live and how we were going to produce every day of our lives? It was going to look like this. These men, fired up, confident, willing to die, willing to surrender all things. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Peter, Peter and John replied, what is right in God's eyes? To listen to you, foolish men, I put that in there, foolish, or to him, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That should pump you up. That should make you excited. Because when you read this word, when this word gets into you and it becomes part of you, you want to share it with other people. It commands that you share it with other people. There is such a love story in this book and there's so much power in this book, but often we just want to do it on our own strength. We can't do it. We're not meant to do it on our own strength. We're meant to do it under his power and his authority and through his Holy Spirit. After further threats, they let them go. <laughs> Get these crazy people out of here. <laughs> let them go preach Christ somewhere else. We want our place back. That's what the righteous people were saying. And he goes on to say, for the man who was miraculous healed was over 40 years old. They could not deny the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God when they saw that man healed by the love that Peter and John had for the Lord Jesus Christ and the power that they possessed because of the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what to do with them. I would love to get back in this country to where they don't know what to do with us. We're so excited about the Lord that they don't know what to do with us. And I close with this, three things. Expect persecution, but don't lose heart. We have the victory in the end. Amen. We have the victory in the end. Number two, God's Holy Spirit empowers us to do more than what we could ever imagine. 
Let's hang tight to it. Let's trust that he knows what he's doing with that Holy Spirit and he's empowered us to overcome any obstacle that we'll face. And number three, God can use anyone he wants at any time. Even ordinary old Joes, just like us. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, it's, it's, it's just so easy. It's just so easy to sit on the sideline. It's so easy to just say, not me, Lord, send someone else. It's so easy to just say, ah, that's for the pastor to do or the youth pastor to do. But the truth of the matter, it's all of our responsibility, just like it was for John and Peter here, to tell people about the good news and how their lives can be changed and how they can be saved. Father, let us not look at it as something that begrudging that we have to do, but let it be something that we're full of joy and excited about sharing about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ like these men were. Father, you've given us everything we need to have a voice for you. Let us not live in fear. Let us not live in doubt. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel. Let us do your will and your will alone. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I ask you this morning, is there anyone out there who needs the Lord Jesus Christ to embolden them to do all of what they need to do for him? And if that's you, I want you to do one little simple thing. I just want you to raise your hand and put it down. I want to lead you there. I want to tell you how to get to the Lord. He has something special for you. He has an eternity for you, and he has it for free. And if that's you, just pray with me. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it silently. Whatever you want to do. Dear Heavenly Father, I am a sinner, and I need forgiveness. I believe that you went to the cross for me. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you went to the grave for three days, and you rose. And in your own simplistic way, simply say, Jesus, come in. Take a hold of my heart. Change it for your purpose and your glory. I believe that you bought me with the price, and I now belong to you and not to myself. Father, I pray for any heart that prayed that this morning and that their life will never, ever be the same. Father, I just pray blessings over this congregation. I just pray that you continue to empower them to be a light wherever they are, that they might shine bright for you. We love you, we give you praise, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Bronson here. I pray that this message that you just listened to helps you and assists you in your journey with Jesus. And if you want to get connected in our church, follow us on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock.